This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. The bailout eking its way through Congress underscores that the calculus lawmakers use in dealing with big problems often ends in a decision to deny the problem exists or when they believe action is inevitable to kick the problem down the road for the next batch of lawmakers to handle. Unfortunately, according to John Samples, director of the Cato Institute's Center for Representative Government, when lawmakers kick the problem down the road, they often make it much, much bigger. Both parties face a problem. We're a month from an election, uh, and they don't want to go in. Nobody wants to go into the election if there's a financial meltdown, which they are afraid is going to happen, or if there's a risk of that. So they have a. Everybody's got a strong uh, motivation to pass the bailout plan or something that they think is going to work. Uh, but they also have another big problem that's come about this week, which is it's very apparent that the voters hate the bailout plan, which they associate with a uh, bailout of Wall Street and people who made big mistakes and should have to pay for those big mistakes. So the problem that you face is if you're, you're the dominant party, you're the Democrats, you can pass this bailout plan. But then when you go into the election, the Republican candidates run against you for having bailed out Wall Street. Right. I mean, Republicans would love to do that because that's what's usually used against them on the one hand. So the Democrats want the Republicans to vote for it also. But the Republicans, of course, would like to have something for the election. But they also face a problem if they follow all that out and, uh, you know, refuse to sign on and use it in the election, it's possible there might be a financial meltdown, at which point the Democrats will say, look, we tried to do something, but the Republicans stopped us for whatever reason, and it's the Republicans' fault. So both sides uh, face a big blame problem going into the election, which is, is their major concern. Now, they want out of it, too. Both of them, in a sense, might be willing to get out of it. Uh, to get through the election and get, uh, you know, win. I mean, everybody at the table is going to be an incumbent, and if either uh, a big meltdown could hurt both sides. So they're looking for a way out, and this is what reminds me of an earlier sort of disaster, the Social Security uh, Commission of 1983. And that is to say Social Security was a tough issue. Uh, there was, it, too, had, had gone in the 70s and early 80s, into a bunch of financing problems. Clearly, you had to do something about the program. You couldn't just let it go the way it was. Uh, but both parties faced a similar situation. If you tried to cut the spending or, or tried to change the program and you were a Republican, the Democrats would run against you. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, the uh, if you were a Democrat, you weren't in a situation where you could do anything about the program. People would run against you or uh, change it in any way that taxpayers didn't like. So the two parties faced that any kind of – something had to be done about Social Security, they thought. Um, but you couldn't really do anything about it without being vulnerable at the, at the polls. So they came up with this commission, and here's the connection between uh, the bailout now and then. Uh, uh, Alan Greenspan's everywhere. He was the head of the commission. He's playing some role in the monetary policy leading up to – the current problems. Uh, Greenspan headed a commission in which you got a mixture of long-term benefit cuts, immediate tax increases, in which the President Reagan and the Republicans and the Democrats and Tip O'Neill all were implicated in it. And um, 
so that nobody could run against anyone else through the plan. They and they concocted the plan, and they uh, enacted it in Congress. Now, here's the the analogy should be troubling to us. The, the Social Security Commission of '83 did resolve some some short-term issues. What it didn't do was make any long-term changes in the program that made the program uh, got the program out from under its uh, enduring stability problems. It's sort of the, the central problematic character of the program itself. It just, so, in other words, basically in 1983, the commission and Congress kicked the can of Social Security down the road, so that they could get through the next election or the next couple of elections. They thought. And somewhere down the road, somebody else would have to either pick up that can or kick it again. All right. So if that's the analogy here, is we've got the part. Anytime the parties are, agree to things and are, you know, getting rid of the vulnerabilities of each, you may end up with a, a uh, agreement that kicks the can past the first week in November. Uh, but we don't know what's going to lie down the road and how far they kick the can down the road. So. These kinds of things where the parties try to get out from under the possibility of criticism in this month running up to election, uh, I think it's open to, you know, criticism and wondering, skepticism, whether we're really going to have a solution that is anything other than uh, good for people running for election in about a month. And state governments do the same thing, like with their uh, state pension obligations and health care, they're typically just a, a sort of delay the, the problem. Well, the problem is you've got is that there's short-term incentives that these people in these situations have short-term incentives. In this case, we've just got a, a what may be a, a large, certainly a large issue, maybe a large potential crisis, maybe not. Uh, but they, the members, believe it is a crisis, and it, the short term is very short indeed. The next month. Uh, they have to run. Usually they have some time to try to sort all this stuff out. So, uh, And they have every incentive to try to use the circumstances to do better. But they also have the worry that the circumstances they are faced with, the potential crisis, the hatred of the bailout, could be fatal to them. The politics that are driving the uh, House Republicans who had been or have been and may at this time still be standing in the way of a kumbaya moment. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a weird mix of people who are free marketeers and people who are presumably fans of the latest incarnation of Lou Dobbs. Right. Well, there's, I mean, there's another element on top of all of this, which sort of go that I think is uh, complicated for libertarians, which is the whole element of populism. I mean, the uh, and, and that populism itself is complicated here uh, in, in the following sense. How could you use this against someone running for Congress? Well, it's as I mentioned, the people who want the bailout have discovered that uh, most Americans hate the bailout. When you think about it, there's a reason why. I mean, whatever the money is in the final account, uh, the rules here are being bent in a, in a way. And why are they being bent? Well, because the banks have got us all by the throats, presumably. Well, that's no way to run a, a market economy, right? And the rules are the rules, and you got to take a hit. That's the sort of logic there. 
that's good. I mean, that's a healthy response, I think, uh, the, the sort of uh, distaste for this. But it's also the other, the populist side of it is that, you know, sort of just the us versus them and that the problem here is Wall Street bankers versus uh, virtuous Main Street. All of that kind of uh, pushing around is a uh, that kind of argument is a typical kind of populist argument. It's typically one that's not necessary. It's one that's very democratic with a small d, but uh, not particularly libertarian because it uh, it's often aimed at uh, you know uh, limitations on property rights or using government to punish uh, minorities and so on. So I think there's two sides. There's a populist element to this, and some of that's very threatening in a way to. Uh, those who value liberty and limited government. But on the other hand, the, there is a sense in which the underlying revulsion to this is actually quite healthy, I think, because the, the rules are the rules, and you can't just play the game and then suddenly say, well, losses are coming. Let's see if uh, we can avoid that. John Samples is director of the Cato Institute's Center for Representative Government. You can read more of his work at Cato.com. Dot org.